Chapter Eleven of A Thousand Degrees Below Zero by Murray Linster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eleven. Teddy felt the fallen man's breast, but he was not breathing. In any event, there was nothing that could have been done for him. An artery had been cut by a splinter of the one-pounder shell that had smashed the roof, and he had bled quietly to death only trying desperately to land and get assistance before he died. The sight of Teddy and Davis sprinting toward him with drawn pistols had been too much for his hatred, however, and he had fired his automatic at them even as he was dying. Teddy found Davis lying on the ground with a bullet in his hip. "'I'm all right, Jared,' said Davis cheerfully when Teddy went to him. "'Just see if there are any more chaps in these houses before you bother with me.' Teddy explored the place thoroughly. There were many signs of human occupancy, but no one save Varus himself had been there when they landed. He returned to Davis to find him weakly trying to improvise a pad to stop the bleeding. Teddy lifted him and carried him to the house that seemed to be the most used. In a little while, Davis was quite comfortable and contented. He lit a cigarette and calmly began to read one of the newspapers that littered the place, while Teddy continued his explorations. The landing field was a small one, no more than a hundred and fifty yards long by seventy-five wide. At one end was an unpretentious but comfortable dwelling, in one of whose rooms Davis was at that moment resting. At the other end a shed evidently formed the hangar for the black flyer. Along the sides of the enclosure were long sheds, some of them empty, some containing supplies of various sorts. Half a dozen coal bombs, complete except for the mysterious treatment of their surface that gave them their strange property, lay on the floor of one of the sheds along the sides. Another shed, long disused, had provided quarters for workmen. Teddy found the single exit that led from the enclosure. It opened on the wide hillside and afforded a view of miles without a sign of human habitation. The remnants of a wheel-track that had obviously not been traveled for months lay away from the door. Along that primitive road, the materials for building the enclosure and the black flyer had evidently been brought. Teddy went back to Davis. "'Jared,' said Davis amiably, "'I'm a fake. I've lost quite some blood, you know, and I was pretty weak.' But while you were gone, I saw a small black bottle on the shelf over there, and I managed to crawl over to it. Wherever we are, prohibition hasn't struck in, and I took just enough to feel all right again. I believe I can drive back. It wasn't more than a two-hour drive anyway, was it? Between two and three, said Teddy, smiling. We were making terrific speed, though. We're probably in Newfoundland somewhere. Or Iceland. To tell the truth, I'm quite indifferent. Suppose you help me out to the machine again. I want to see what I can find in the laboratory first, said Teddy. The laboratory was of the smallest. Whatever experiments had been necessary to perfect the coal bombs and the black flyer had been made elsewhere. Teddy found a number of notebooks which he took. He found many chemicals, some in considerable quantities, in receptacles about the laboratory, but no clue to the mysterious process that had enabled Varus to threaten the world's security. He left Varus where he lay, both he and Davis confidently expecting to return and investigate thoroughly both the coal bombs and the black flyer. 
Davis especially was anxious to examine that strange machine in detail, but his wound was painful, and he wished to have it properly dressed. Besides this, the whole world was waiting anxiously to learn its fate, whether Vadas's ambitious plans were to be frustrated, or whether it would have to put its neck beneath the heel of the mad dictator. Teddy lifted Davis to the machine, and after some difficulty they started off. Davis circled above the small clearing until it was tiny beneath them. "'Course is southwest,' he remarked to Teddy. "'We'll notice where we land, and then a northeast course will bring us back here again, or nearly.' "'Right,' said Teddy, abstractedly. His mind leaped ahead to the moment when he would see Evelyn again. He had seen her just before starting for Norman's Reef, and she had seemed pale and anxious. He was not sure, but he hoped he was right in believing that she was more anxious than she would have been had she looked on him merely as a friend or comrade. The biplane sped over the sea across which it had flown in such desperate haste that morning. Davis was weak, but for straightaway flying, modern machines need but little attention. The new inherently stable aeroplanes are so safe that an amateur could pilot one in mid-flight. And Davis had taken a small quantity of stimulant to supplement his strength. At that, however, his endurance was severely taxed before he flattened out and taxied across the landing field on Staten Island. Mechanics rushed out to greet him and help him from the machine. Vadas is dead, and the black flyer is smashed, said Davis cheerfully, and incontinently fainted. Teddy made a hasty report to the commandant of the forts and rushed to New York. The second coal bomb had exploded that morning, and the city was panic-stricken. But as his taxicab sped uptown, the extras began to appear, announcing the removal of the menace to the world. The frightened crowds changed to happy, cheering ones. If Teddy's identity had been suspected as he passed swiftly through the streets, he would never have gotten through. He would have been dragged from the motor car to be cheered and re-cheered. As it was, he made his way quickly to Evelyn's home. He sprang up the steps and burst open the door, not waiting for the servant to open it. As he rushed into the hall, Evelyn came into it through an open door. She saw him, and her face was suffused with joy. "'You're safe!' she cried joyfully, and burst into happy tears. Teddy took her quite naturally into his arms and held her there a moment. She sobbed quietly on his shoulder for a second, clinging to him, then pushed him away and stared at him while a hot flush overspread her face. "'Oh!' she exclaimed in a rush of shame. "'I—I—' She turned and ran away. Teddy caught her. "'What's the matter?' he demanded. Her cheeks were still crimson. "'I—I I kissed you,' she said desperately. "'And you—you uh, hadn't said—' Teddy laughed happily. "'I hadn't said I loved you. Well, if that's all that's bothering you, just listen.' And Teddy said it several times. Davis was up and about in less than a week. His wound had been of little importance— and with a crutch which he took with pride in using with dexterity, he was able to move about almost as well as ever. He came over to tea with Evelyn one afternoon. Teddy was there, too, of course. Davis was boyishly showing off how well he could move about. Teddy watched him critically. "'That's all right, Davis,' he said in a paternal tone. 
but you want to get rid of that instrument as soon as you can what for demanded davis deftly swinging himself into a chair we're waiting for you to get well explained teddy with a smile at evelyn it isn't considered good form to have a groomsman who is a cripple groomsman who what you two davis stared from one to the other teddy nodded and evelyn turned slightly pink davis turned to teddy they tell me you and i are to be impressively decorated for smashing vadas he complained and there'll be moving pictures taken of it and shown everywhere i want to be a touching picture all wounded up you know when that happens a girl threw me over six months ago and she likes the movies when she sees me beautifully mangled and being kissed by bearded people who pin medals on me she'll be sorry mayn't i wear a crutch until then teddy laughed and evelyn smiled affectionately at davis if it's like that of course said evelyn we'll wait but teddy's in an awful hurry i would be too in his place said davis promptly he assumed an expression of extreme reluctance well i suppose i'll have to get well teddy shamelessly squeezed evelyn's hand and she shamelessly squeezed back there are compensations for having to wait said teddy generously provided of course it isn't too long davis looked at them and his eyes twinkled well then in that case he started for the rear of the house where are you going davis looked over his shoulder with a grin you people compensate each other for waiting he smiled amiably i'm going to go out in the laboratory and kiss the galvanometer end of chapter eleven end of one thousand degrees below zero by murray leinster